0: And Welcome to the main event sports show. This is the main event on politics coming to you live from the Tunerville Tavern here at 1201 South 1st Street and on the Oak Street side. You know, and when you come in, you have to order their wings with the world famous main event jerk acute sauce. And for those of you who don't know, that's half barbecue, half jerk seasoning blended together just right to make the world famous. Jerky Q Sauce by the Main Event Sports Show. So, hey, tune in, come in, enjoy yourself, and have fun. And on our Main Event in Politics sub, you know, we like to bring you guys a, uh, a wide variety of political topics here. And today I have my good friend, Mr. Michael Hicks. And um, go ahead. Good to be here, man. Man, I mean, good to have you. Good to have you. Now, I've been following you, like, forever because we're neighbors. We live right literally just a couple blocks from each other. That's right. Um you know, we've been compatriots on, on, on the struggles trying to help folks in that's West right. Louisville and the black community at, at, as a, um, as, at large. That's right. But you're involved in a movement that's really gained traction, I would say, in the past five to ten years. I, I will now,
1: even – no,
0: no. It's probably before then, and I'm going to get into that a little bit earlier. I was okay. introduced to uh, the – we'll call it the ADL West Movement. mm mm-hmm. um, and for those who don't know, kind of uh, uh, tell them like, what is ADOS and what does that mean? Okay,
1: ADO, ADOS stands for American Descendants of Slavery, um, and that is talking about chattel slavery, the transatlantic stra- slave trade of the United States. The ADOS movement is has brought a new energy to the reparations, uh, the reparations struggle, the reparations fight. The reparations fight is very old and. Let me give credit uh, where credit is due to all the, the principals and organizations that were involved with it from back in the day, going all the way back to the 1890s with uh, Cali House and I.H. Hickerson uh, and the ex-slaves pension movement uh, all the way to what's going on today. And there are uh, a couple of groups, uh, several groups involved um, that are talking uh, reparations nowadays.
0: Yeah, and this like, really came, like I said, of note like in the past like five or ten years, it seemed to explode. It. Now, I was introduced to the ADOS movement. or not maybe not ADOS, but um, the descendants of American slaves mm-hmm. by a local guy who I shot a commercial for. I read his book and the I little shot Black Book. Yeah, the Little Black Book. Right. Uh, and I, I did a commercial for him. His name is uh, Norris Shelton. Norris Shelton. There you go. Right. And he had the Descendants of American Slaves. As matter of fact, you can't miss him in Louisville, Kentucky because he has this giant uh, RV that he has wrapped yeah, yeah. with the little black book.
1: Yep. Mr. Silks is right there on 21st and Muhammad Ali. Yep. That's
0: right. right, right. So you, know, you can't miss him. He's all over driving around town promoting his book, North Shelter. And that's where I was first, uh, you know, first even heard about this idea. And that was right. about like good 10, 15 years ago. And now it seems like when I go on Twitter and I listen to a podcast, it just seems like it has exploded, where now guys are jumping in front of Buttigieg, who's running for president, uh, Bernie Sanders, and putting mics in their face and asking them, man, what you going to do about reparations? Mm. What's going on with reparations? And I was right. like, man, no, the energy has really just kind of amped up, but not so much so uh, that there's now even a hearing in Congress talking about or setting up the conversation about should there be
1: reparations and what does that look like? Right. That, that was a, a, the whole totality of that um, that happened on Thursday, on Juneteenth, by the way, was um, interesting theater. Uh, as a matter of fact, that'll be something that I respond on and write on coming up in about the next six or seven days or so.
0: Uh, there we go. So, like, like I said, for those who are listening who may not uh, know exactly about the ADOS, kind of tell us like, how it got started, kind of sure. who got the ball rolling, and okay. what's going on right now.
1: Yeah, um, just like in our, our little chat earlier, the, the reparations movement is longstanding and has had certainly had big ebbs, big flows. Um, the ADOS movement as we know it really came to be, about three years ago or so the the energy uh, that you see behind it now i don't think it's too immodest to say it has been um, uh, under that hashtag a d o s uh and particularly a lot of rallying and support on on both twitter and youtube um a d o s started off uh and i'm I'm looking a little bit at a piece that I had done in the final call mm-hmm. uh, recently, uh, responding, you know, like to those about the movement, and then I did a larger piece on it. Um, it was during the run-up to the 2016 presidential election, where I was listening to YouTuber uh, Yvette Cornell. She's a graduate of Howard University um, in political science. Uh, she worked in Washington. She was. Uh, a staff member of uh, Senator Barbara Boxer out of California, uh, as well as a representative, and she worked for the DNC uh, for a time. Um, And she was bringing, along with uh, Los Angeles attorney, Antonio Moore, um, who was a producer of uh, a documentary on Freeway Rick Ross, Freeway Cracking the System, that was nominated for an Emmy. It was these people that started uh, doing YouTube broadcasts that did, they had a particular focus that resonated with me and they resonated with like black Americans across the country in ways that they brought a new energy that hasn't been seen in a generation or two. Yes, the reparations argument is old and there have been um, organizations working and continuing to be busy among them. Uh, North Shelton's uh, descendants of African slaves um, you will see them on YouTube and uh, posting and advocating uh, there's in Cobra. which also helped and worked with John Conyers and to come up with the original HR40 bill in Congress uh, that was proposed first proposed in 1989 but that's the 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 sadness and the problem of the situation is that it has lingered in committee for 30 years. It's never even gotten out of the Judiciary Committee, even despite the fact that there's been uh, in that stretch two Democratic presidents who had two terms. And in the first two years of those terms, they had majorities in the House and the Senate. And
0: in some cases, they
1: had super majorities. Yeah, something very close to it. Um, it was a situation where they had uh, 59 and it eventually became 60 senators in the Senate once Al Franken got seated um, in 2010, uh, and then they had a large majority in the House, And but they never bothered to get it out of committee. They let it just, you know, um, die on the vine. And it's something
0: that Conyers has been bringing up reparations for... For years. Right. Almost like once a year, he
1: goes and introduces the same bills. Right. Now, I I will say the touchstone that started bringing some energy and thought uh, to reparations, and it, it, it changed the focus. Usually, when you've heard reparations being talked about, it's usually been focused just strictly around the issue of slavery. But there is a record of harm. Uh, what Coates described as plunder, that goes even longer than that. You have to think of post-slavery, and when you're talking about the South, and shoot, many areas of the North, you have to talk about Jim Crow segregation. You certainly have to talk about the issue of redlining, where essentially, not only were white Americans incentivized to move to the suburbs, they were, They were incentivized to move to the suburbs, given loans and the means to do so, but black people were made into the literal opposite. They were literally made a contagion to wealth, meaning that just the presence of a black family coming into the neighborhood dropped property values. So black people going from a situation where when they were enslaved, they were the literal wealth of this nation. Four million uh, enslaved Africans, uh, enslaved Black people, um, worth the equivalent of then what was three point five billion dollars, which would be an untold amount of billion dollars in two thousand. Seven, well, seven trillion, now seven trillion dollars easily. Yeah, easily. Uh, they were the lit- to be transformed from the literal wealth of this nation to a contagional wealth um, is the ultimate turnaround. That what essentially happened was the federal government incentivized discrimination they incentivized racism they locked in a system where wealth was intentionally denied to black people
0: or in some cases in Tulsa Oklahoma were stolen. Oh, oh, in 1924, then you had Rosewood and Rosewood you know, 23 and there's several other, you know, um, atrocities. Atrocities. That, several other several other all black towns, especially out west, they were completely and utterly just destroyed and everything was was taken and in in Tulsa for those who don't know what Black Wall Street, um, you know, the amount of wealth that Black folks had in Tulsa was, you know, today it would, you know, even today, it would be unfathomable to think of like a black community having that much wealth. Like even Atlanta, I think today, Atlanta would be like the mecca of maybe black wealth in the, the United States. The extreme tragedy. was still pair in comparison to what they had in Tulsa, they had their own planes. Yeah, the, the, it's, the, it's, the it's tragedy. Of,
1: yeah, the tragedy of what happened in Greenwood is America was under a strict system of a white supremacy at the time and it was a situation where you know you think of the end of world war one black soldiers coming back having fought even though they fought in segregated units fought overseas for an America that refused to honor them and give them the first class citizenship they fought for a freedom that they did not have well and actually when
0: they came back this is where you know this is a uh not to date the video, which I'm about to. Okay. But this is the summer of uh, 2019, which is the 100 year anniversary of, of the, the Red, Red summer. summer of 1919, which mm-hmm. is like where all those black soldiers, you know, when they came back and they would uh, participate in the parades of, uh, you know, the troops coming back. A lot of times they were pulled out of those parades, beaten and lynched. Somewhere lynched
1: in their uniforms. Yeah.
0: And then the black community would, would say, hey, we're not having that. They right. would take up arms. You had these large race riots, mostly in the north. A lot of people don't yeah. know this. Yeah. Mostly in the north. New York. I think the worst one was actually in Detroit.
1: Uh, Detroit. Uh, Chicago.
0: Uh, St. Uh, Louis. St. Louis. So, you know, a lot of these cities had, like, these very, very large, you know, race riots in the summer right. of 1919 when the black soldiers came back and they, you when, know, they were like, "We we fought for freedom for this country and we come back and we're no,
1: you want us to treat us the same and we're, we're not having that. And, and that's the insult to injury. The insult to injury was um, black people were were forced into uh, a system of excre- extreme discrimination, uh, a forced segregation um, where they were made less than. So you have communities of people say, okay, well, if this is the way that it's going to be. We will you know, focus on ourselves and build our economies, but then American racism was so pervasive that the white Americans of the nation and the way the nation was built, they didn't even want the you know the ex-slaves and the children of the ex-slaves to even have that. So um, it was, and this is the part of um, a, a crude, uh, a crude failure, um, plunder. And essentially plunder because when you literally you know like fly planes and planes weren't much of a thing for that long and you you know are dropping bomb fire bombs and you know literally burning a town to the ground and killing hundreds of and, and then- this
0: is going back to the 1924 uh, Tulsa riots where they dropped dynamite right. sticks of dynamite from the ground and right. it was from the air rather right Bomb Tulsa, Oklahoma. At uh, least the black part of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Right.
1: The Greenwood. At Greenwood
0: Richard. District. And, you know, and for those who don't know, the, what happened is, like with so many other stories, a white woman claimed she was raped by black men. Right. They held him in a jail. Of course, the lynch mob showed up to lynch him. Well, a group of right. citizens surrounded the jail, armed. A group of armed black citizens right. surrounded the jail. It was like, no, you're not taking these guys out. You're not going to. Lynch these guys without due process, right. without a trial and things of that nature, and that started a riot, which included the, the National Guard. Right. Uh, they bombed it from the air, so and all the white citizens, and there was a, a struggle. The papers said only 300 folks uh, perished in the riots, but I've heard repor- reports from, um, of course, they're no longer living, but from citizens who lived in Tulsa, but especially black citizens, right. put up over 2,000 folks.
1: Yeah, it, it created a... Uh, were you, killed. Many were killed. You turned the rest of them into refugees. You destroy the entire economic base.
0: But to make matters worse, uh, Tulsa, the city council, after race riots, passed an ordinance, a law, saying that the black citizens could not buy back their land. Mm-hmm. So only the white citizens could buy back the land, making sure that you crippled
1: the uh, the economic viability of black Tulsa. Right. And if that wasn't the original intent of in the first place, it certainly was a desired outcome. Uh, and that and all of what we've just talked about is the prologue uh, in a lot of ways for the ADOS movement.
0: And I guess to add more, I guess, more evidence, is a lot of lynchings that, that took place out the South. Ida B. Wells was a was one of the greatest journalists uh, America's ever known. Mm-hmm. And when she lived in Memphis, you know, she uh, took up the cause of three black men that, that were lynched and killed because they had... Friends of hers that owned a business. That their friends of hers owned a business, and they had talked to quote-unquote white women. We were coming to find out, one, the relationship was consensual, but two, during her research into lynchings, especially in Memphis, Tennessee, other parts of Tennessee in the south had come to find out that a lot of these lynchings were taking place because these were mostly black store owners and shopkeepers. Murdered
1: out of jealousy.
0: Yeah, they were lynching, and they were lynched because their businesses were more popular than Mm -hmm. their white competitors. Sure. So this is a way to eliminate black wealth, to eliminate black uh, mercantile competition, was through... Lynchings and intimidation from the Klan. Right. Uh, later, the Klan turned into the White Citizen Councils of the 50s and 60s. Right. That's right. Uh, and so on and so forth. And then, you know, after you get past the the lynchings, things that nature. Decades move into of the, plunder. Decades of plunder. Moving to the Civil Rights era, you know, you're still living in a system where, or uh, black folks were still unable to. Um, now, I'm not to say what unable to, but it was pretty well known that you could have but certain jobs. You know, you were not right. going to be the manager of GE. You're never going to be the manager of foreman at, at Ford Motor Company or any these other companies. So you have a PhD in chemistry, which pretty much means that you have the luxury of being a janitor at Dow Chemical.
1: It, it, what, it is what happens when a group of people are targeted uh, for being a permanent underclass. And again that's the prologue for the uh, ados movement what yvette Cornell and antonio moore did a lot better than anyone else that i've seen in recent years ta coates article in 2014 laid the prologue and then they he used an example besides slavery which presented a justification for reparations when he talked about the plunder that um home buyers black home buyers wanted to have but they didn't really they weren't able to actually have mortgages they essentially was uh, paying per month on the house but they didn't build equity toward it and and then on top of that they were overpaying for example a, a house that might would otherwise have a sticker price of about twelve thousand dollars you know, black people were paying 25,000, 27,000, $30,000, you know, like for these homes. And they organized and they sued. They lost that lawsuit. Some people had a quantum of justice, some didn't, but that also lays the prologue over the history. It's It's not that black people have never demanded, you know, like recompense ever since the Edict of 40, uh, the, uh, forty acres and a mule. Forty acres and a mule from the Union General that w- was refused to be honored by President Andrew Johnson after uh, President Lincoln caught that bullet in the head in April 1865. Um, black people have petitioned the government. They have come to the governments, but these governments have been governments of white, white supremacist men, and they have consistently refused America. Uh, throughout this time. So, the ADOS movement, uh, coming into the run-up of the 2016 presidential election, 2017, what Yvette Cornell and Antonio Moore did do better than anyone else. And they used the uh, the research of uh, individuals such as um, Duke economist Dr. William Sandy Darity uh, who has studied the issue and explored the issue of what reparations would look like. He has done it in one form or another for about the, at least the last 30 years. Um, they've taken that research and they were able to make it plain for poor and working poor black Americans in their everyday lives, what that means. They were able to take the history and while it is an emotional subject, and can, but they took it out of emotions and then also made it simply about the economic data. And that had a way of resonating with black black people. When you think of, we live in a society now, man, where you got folks having to make do, working multiple jobs, having to drive Uber, Lyft, Instacart, Grubhub, uh, Postmates, you know, like.
0: The, the gig economy.
1: Gig economy, that's right. Or
0: the side hustles, we like to say, in the black community.
1: Yeah, side hustles, gig economy, all in the name of just trying to make enough money to live. And there's more and more places in America where it's getting hard, you know, like for black people to have enough money to even be American in those cities, certainly cities like San Francisco, certainly in cities like Los Angeles, increasingly so in, you know, areas uh, in New, areas York, of New-, and, in New yeah. York. And that is coming to Louisville as well, you know, like trust. When you see the development going on in Portland, The development going on in the Russell neighborhood, uh, and you see the changes that are going to be made, but you don't see the commensurate uh, amount of quote affordable housing unquote being built. That same crisis is going to be on its way here. As a matter of fact, you're seeing signs of it now because all you got, all you would have to do is look under the Jefferson Bridge.
0: There you go. So, um, so. Let's talk about what would reparations look like. So let's say okay. uh, the next president of the United States, whoever it may be, goes all in and say, you know what, I'm gonna grant black folks in America reparations. If it happened that fast, okay if it happens that fast. We could snap your fingers and make it happen. Right. One, who would get reparations? Okay. Would it just be a check? Would it just be just money? would it be investments in institutions such as HBCUs and things of that nature so what exactly would those reparations be and what and more importantly like what is ADOS advocating those reparations should be
1: great questions um i would i would um encourage uh, everyone that will be that it is listening to the show or, or watching it or uh, watching the stream in, in some form or fashion to go to ADOS101.com. Uh, ADOS101.com. That is the clearinghouse and the primary website that not only clearly lays out uh, the black agenda uh, for American descendants of slavery, um, it also lay provides uh, thumbnails of the socioeconomic data. And in that black agenda, they lay out what uh, a reparations plan, and it would have to be a plan in the trillions. Uh, It would not just, quote, be in the form of a check. It would be something that you would want to implement over a period of time. Because not only is it, uh, quote, the paper money of the US, um, you also Particularly given this nation's history of plunder and targeting uh, American descendants of slavery um, as uh, uh, marks, as victims of you know like this permanent undercast, there would need to be also protections in place. Um, the people who have been systematically denied and targeted justice in this country. Would be essentially vaulted in the name of justice, vaulted to where the rightful places would be uh, if white supremacy did not exist. that is the primary reason uh, reparations is a necessity. Uh, it is not um, you know a debatable issue. A debt is a debt, the data is the data the history and the, the legion of atrocities cannot be denied. Uh, it, well, people can do it, but they are dishonest.
0: So give me some specifics that, that are in 80 West 101 oh, that.
1: You had another question. The other yeah. question was, who would be eligible? Now, according to the research of Dr. Sandy Darity, uh, and he's a person that I've had a chance to befriend, uh, he has those two primary criteria. Uh, for it to be a recipient and it's not really that difficult. The first one is that you would have to have a traceable ancestor in the United States that was a, ch- a chattel slave in the United States, the first of all. Second, that you have in the last 10 years on some sort of a formal legal document uh, declared yourself as African American or black. So. In, in the last 10 years you've declared yourself African American or Black and you have a traceable ancestor. You know, it, it might even a traceable ancestor to American chattel slavery. Those are the two, two criteria.
0: Okay, so basically I couldn't be like Haitian, a Haitian American right. and, and claim reparations because if I, you know, trace my ancestry back, my Ancestors and chattel slavery would be from Haiti and not from the United States.
1: Right. Now, let me make a, an important nuanced distinction here. This is, I believe, Haitians and the nation of Haiti has a right to uh, whether it would be going to the U.N. or through the UN. Um, protesting and petitioning the French government.
0: Now, from my understanding, Haiti has actually started that process already. Because I remember when Haiti became, uh, when they won independence, they had to pay Haiti for the Haiti had to pay France. Had to pay France to be free. And now the Haitians are going back to France to be like, you know what? Give us the money back. Right. And
1: I cheer them on in that effort. I also cheer on in the Caribbean the efforts of the reparations organization CARICOM, uh, which are multiple island nations that are suing the various uh, settler colony governments um, that enslaved, enslaved brought them to those islands and enslaved them. i I cheer them in that effort. And if there are, is any way over the period of time to be able to, say, share information, uh, share tactics, uh, I'd be glad to do that. However, this is not to be exclusionary out of some issue of nativism or xenophobia this is a aggrieved group of american citizens in the, the united american states government. who can who have a provable claim you know in history revealed in history and actions and documentation of harm of grief so we are you know like we as a group are acting in self-interest, and we're making a, you know, like a formal claim, doing what any other uh, lobbying group in America does, they petition their government for redress. They petition their government for justice. Like the
0: Japanese internments in the 1940s. Exactly. Uh, The various Native American nations that have sued and are still suing in some cases. I believe that Navajos still have a case with the American government for reparations for being removed from their land, and they're still that's fighting right. that uh, to this day. That's right. So this is not new, and about reparations for slavery, if I'm not mistaken, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I know a lot of folks, I know Mitch McConnell came out and said, you know what, that's 140 years ago, we don't need to worry right. about that. We, look, he gave you Barack Obama, your you Negroes happy, that, that, and, you that, know, that. that didn't work. But if I'm not mistaken, I said, correct me if I'm wrong, didn't the American government give reparations to Confederate slaveholders? Where after the Civil War, they gave white Confederate slaveholders yes three hundred dollars per slave yes that they lost
1: yes uh, I, I think something like along the lines of two hundred and seventy-five or so um, Confederate slaveholders were compensated uh, for you know like the slaves that they lost, uh, and that is again part of the insult. Uh, to injury, and that is the result of when a person, when a group of people are made a permanent, un- it's not even underclass, it's undercast. It's a, it's a situation where you're created, you're locked in a caste situation where the desire is to not let you rise above that, but then that caste is a undercast, and you're meant to be essentially kept there forever and ever. But you're so an American lie when aberrations exist and come up, you're so those aspirations and the aberrations or as something that you can do as well. But the reality is, and that's what your your vet and Antonio brought, the overwhelming majority of American descendants of slavery have no wealth. We're not talking about income. We're not talking about what you make. We're talking about wealth which is what you own versus what you owe. And when you talk about wealth, black folk lack it. Look, 20 million black families in the United States, about 83 million white American households and families in the United States. Out of that 20 million, there are only 380,000 families that make, that have a net worth of a million dollars or more, 380,000 out of 20 million. With white American families, there are 12 million families that have net worth of a million dollars or more, and one million of those families have a net worth of 12 million dollars or more. Um, 14 million, uh, new uh, 14, yeah, uh, there were uh, a number of millions of new millionaires that were made under the Obama administration. And this is something, look, to be in the top 5%, top 5% of wealth holders in the black community, the 5 percentile mark is if you are worth $350,000 or more. That's how extreme it is. That's how dire it is. When you hear the, the talk about the racial wealth gap, if you want to understand race and racism in the United States, the racial wealth gap is the primary thing that you need to see because, when you look at all the so-called problems in black communities, it is directly tied to that lack of wealth and the racial uh, wealth so, gap. So,
0: so once again, so now, now let's talk about some uh, of of the detractors at EOS because there are sure. some folks who are detractors. Uh, one More than a few. Would be uh, Talib Kouli. Yep. Has, has come out. He written. A, he wrote a very long article talking about. Um,
1: a poorly written, a poorly written rambling one, but yes,
0: about ADOS talking about how uh, uh, Miss Carnell is really a, a Trump supporter in disguise. Mm-hmm. If I'm not mistaken, she was wearing a MAGA hat. Talking about how uh, presidential uh, President Trump looked, okay. um, and he mentioned some of the things and some of the other critiques I've heard was about how a xenophobic the ADOS uh, movement is, mm-hmm. especially uh, as it goes to the, the I guess, the uh, traditional Pan-Africanists.
1: Right. Well, to, to those issues, to, to, to Mr. Green. Um,
0: Man, he brought his government name.
1: <laughs> yeah, by, by his government name. By his government name is 1.09 million followers, which probably about 900,000 to a million of them are bought um, anyway. But no, the, it, focusing on the, the issues at hand, Mr. Green is loud and primarily wrong. Here, here's, here's a thought experiment question I wanna give you. The thought experiment question is this, even if all the things that he charges Yvette Cornell with, even if they were true and they are not, but even if they are were, were, were true, even if she was a MAGA Republican, and even if she was a Trump supporter, which she is not, that was kind of an exercise that was done for a you know, particular show. The data still is the same. The overwhelming majority of black Americans have no wealth. President Obama did not do anything substantively to assist and aid the black communities. And and not so much for the reason that you would expect him to do it because he was black. Not that. Just the fact that American descendants of slavery have consistently and durably been the most loyal in turnout and in voting percentage for the Democratic Party for at least the last five decades. So it would be an issue, look, Yvette and Antonio have taught uh, the people that watch and listen to their shows that politics is an exchange. It's fundamentally exchange. And getting Trump out of office isn't a campaign priority that in and of itself, I'm talking about in and of itself, Because, you know, we understand he has been horrible to migrants, you know, at the border. And the things that have happened there and happened in these detention centers are atrocities. But we understand for as wicked a person as this man is, getting him out of office in and of itself does nothing for ADOS. ADOS is a group and a community that literally wants to put some teeth under the concept of no permanent friends, no permanent enemies, just permanent interest. Being able to break the link of having to be high bound to one party or another and being able to change the political scene, to change the political scenario to something where America's political parties come to court our vote as a, a, rather than us being beholden to the others. Like, for example, in 2016, there was a narrative coming out of some elements of the mainstream media, uh, particularly amongst liberals to moderates, uh, liberal to moderate publications that somehow because black people didn't show up for Hillary as much as they did President Obama. And that somehow the blame, some level of the blame is on them. No, I would say, you know, to well, those. Well, actually, uh, to, get to
0: their people. well, actually from what I've read and what I've seen of those voter returns of the 2016 election, it wasn't, well, it wasn't the fact that black folks did not show up to vote. They did. Uh, we did show up to vote. Now, did we show up to vote for numbers? Did we show up to vote no, for we Obama? we didn't turn
1: out the same way.
0: Of course not, because...
1: Hillary Clinton wasn't as, quote, uh, galvanizing on
0: uh, no, the no, 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 that's not the reason. Let's be honest. The reason was black folks showed up to vote for a black president. Right. Hillary is not a black president, so she's that's not right. going to get that type of... She's not going to get that type of turnout. I, I just but, said it a little nicer. But <laughs> you, you did say you got, nicer, you got but got to the point. Yeah, but the point is, we're not turning out uh, for a black guy. Yeah, a black president. We'll we to vote, but we did turn out in, in great numbers for Hillary. What let Hillary down? Which I know a lot of uh, democratic, a lot of Democrat folks, the Democratic Party will admit privately, but won't admit publicly, is as white women left hillary at the altar yeah, and man. voted for trump and that's what killed her that and she's i'll, I'll say it i said i said before i'll say it again hillary is one of the worst political candidates in the history of political candidates right. period end of story
1: whether you want to say that was a result of all the years of political attacks so or just you know the many times that she uh, tripped no, she's over she's not the, a good politician i mean right. she is just not a good politician. A, like a smart woman, a smart woman, a skilled a person in governance, but not a good politician.
0: She's not a good politician. People don't like her. People don't trust her. Right. She's just not. She's not a husband. Right.
1: Well, you know, when it when it comes down to it, uh, again, if you look at every category, if you look whether it's income, whether it's age group, whether it's men or women. I'll, every category, hands down, when it came to white Americans, more people, more whites, no matter the income group, education group, gender, more whites voted for Trump over Hillary. That's what it comes down to. And there's still sixty plus percent of the vote. And that's okay. what it comes down to. Now so,
0: so I'm asking question. So coming up in the twenty twenty election. Uh, well, if, if none of the Democratic candidates, I know Elizabeth Warren came out and said that we need to have reparations. Right. Uh, at least Let me rephrase that. She came out and said we need to have that discussion right. for reparations and brought Native Americans into that discussion as well. Right. Uh, Bernie at first said, I don't think it's a good idea, has since uh, changed his mind, if you will. Right. And said we need to have that conversation right about reparations i think kamala harris uh cory booker uh budajaj i also believe said he came out we have that discussion mm-hmm. is having that discussion is that good enough radio no. west or it needs to be we, we need to see policies in place
1: no uh it's a start and and that goes into the larger coalition of people talking like uh from uh tariq's camp and those you, you hear the see the hashtag of Tangibles. Uh, and what have you, and that, you know, like all plays together and goes along the line. I wanted to just go back real, real quick to some of the things that Mr. Green said. Mr. Green, just another one of them is, he also created a very problematic hashtag, um, like ADOS is trash. And ADOS, it's more than, the movement is the new thing. ADOS is an identity. You know, you're talking about a people. And given the history of how um, black people have been marginalized, been projected as an image of being less than human, uh, and then had atrocities committed upon them, that is just really dangerous talk. Even in so-called 2019, we're more civilized now. We, we understand things better. No, human beings can be you know, very vile, very petty people who can be sucked under mob mentality if the conditions are right or wrong. And we have to be really careful uh, about our language there. Even in vigorous disagreement with him, I would never want to call him and his trash. And, And then, you know, part of the reason was as well was ADOS you know, kind of expose the okey-doke of the political narrative that was coming around Kamala Harris. And Kamala Harris was, she is a black woman, is a black woman in that strictest sense, but she is not an American descendant of slavery. Her father uh, is, was a, a Jamaican professor. Her mother was uh, an East Indian doctor. And she did go to Howard University. She was an AKA. She, you know, has had her toe in quote the black experience, but that is not the same thing, and it's that difference. See, the ADOS movement is not willing to be the mules for everybody else. They're not willing to, you know, carry the weight or be the burden bearers for other American minority groups to be able to jump off their, you know, liberation or justice efforts, and. A lot of these groups have done that on our backs, uh, essentially. But the Democratic Party refuses to refuses to properly award or reward um, its most loyal constituency. Now, what they will do is put a few brown pla- faces in high places, and you have you create functionaries who back the. The establishment, the, the status quo, the the corporatist, centrist status quo. Um, and that is what passes for, you know, like diversity. But no, we can't we can't run Crayola politics, people of color, quote unquote, politics anymore because it doesn't serve ados uh, so in, in any way shape or form
0: so before we go l- let's talk a little bit about the future ados especially with the with the 2020 election coming okay. gone now from my understanding ados they haven't backed a candidate or anything of that nature Mm-mm. in in the democratic primary and i know they're probably not backing trump so i know he's out so i know it's
1: well here, here's what it is one You're- of the
0: 25,000 democrats decided on for president right. this year
1: Well, we've actually had uh, Antonio Moore interviewed on his uh, Friday Dash Talk radio show. He uh, interviewed Marianne Williamson, who has been the only candidate that has explicitly um, talked of reparations as a necessary justice claim. Yes, we understand, you know, Mrs. Williamson, it would be what would be considered, quote, a fringe candidate, unquote. Um, But she did get enough votes to be able to participate Uh, in at least one of the presidential elections. So we think that at least is an opportunity for the case to be presented in an articulate form, in a national forum. And I also appreciate the fact that her voice should be heard because you're not gonna have too many black people being able to talk to uh, a Kiwanis club in Idaho, you know, like about the need for reparations. So having the, that voice in very non-traditional places advocating for such an issue is an asset To the, because we understand that this is a marathon and not a sprint.
0: Hmm. So what about those folks who say things like, uh, well, if ADOS backs uh, Mary Ann, who is polling very low, probably has no chance in, in the world uh-huh. of coming close to winning, even right. if ADOS Baxter, aren't you just giving the lane to uh, Joe Biden or uh, Kamala Harris or Cory Booker, one of the most centrist corporatist Democrats? Aren't you kind of giving them just a, the free lane
1: to the nomination? This is part of the ever-growing tension that exists when, you know, like you are engaged in, in politics and what we are trying to do, and this is no easy lift, is you've heard of the saying of what an Overton window is, like when it mm. comes to political ideology, and in the last few decades, the, the Overton window has certainly been pulled to the right. What we are striving to do is move the Overton window on race and pull it back in a way that hasn't been done in, in decades. And we, as I said, we recognize this is no easy lift.
0: Now, let, let me ask this question. Would that... Would that also entail, let's say, if a, if a Joe Biden uh, gets a nomination and it's Joe Biden against Trump, would ADOS and maybe some of his leadership maybe advocate not voting at all in 2020 to punish the Democratic Party to, so in 2024 they come back around or that,
1: would, that, is, would, that look? That would have to grow to be a consensus decision over time. I will say this. Um, the Democratic Party needs to understand that um, the American descendants of slavery uh, as a growing movement isn't going away. We're not just a hashtag. We're not just you know a bunch of people you know typing on the internet. Um, we had a presence at, at that Washington hearing as a, We had folks that were there waiting in line at seven am but they only allowed like 11 seats to the general public. Uh, Members of, in COBRA had a number of seats. Members of uh, NARC had a number of seats. Um, So the 11 seats were occupied, and they were sitting on that right-hand side, on the side where uh, uh, Coleman Hughes and Burgess Owens uh, were, you know, like, they were seated, seated there, and they were representing, you know, like, so we want to, You know, let it be known there are essentially chapters Mm -hmm. rising up across the country and they're organizing small and on a local level all across the country. All
0: right, so before we go, uh, let all our good listeners and watchers there where they can find your work, thank you, your Uh, Twitter, email, email, website, okay, everything
1: else. Yeah, my Twitter is uh, at m r h i one that's my Twitter handle, Michael R. Hicks. Uh, I have published a series of ADOS explainers on medium.com, um, and that would be under my name. Uh, do a search under Michael R. Hicks. Uh, and I've written a series of articles called The Case, of AD- the Case for ADOS, and there's been multiple parts. Um, I'm working on part five right now that'll come out this week. Um, I also have a community-focused website that was focused on West Louisville, and that is narrowthegap.org. So I'm on Twitter at MRHSCK01. Uh, I'm on medium.com, Michael R. Hicks, and narrowthegap.org. Hey, thanks for coming in and sitting on Main Event on Politics with us. Thank you for having me. Man, it's great
0: having you hey, if you guys can, don't forget, hit subscribe. Leave a comment below if you have any questions or anything about uh, ADOS or anything else. Please leave a comment below. Don't forget to subscribe to Main Event Sports Show, especially Main Event on Politics, and hit the little bell so you get the notifications when we go live and I upload a new video. And thank you for tuning in. I'm Haven. This has been Michael Hicks. And like I like to end every show, without any struggle, there is no progress.